Welcome to the MLM.com podcast. I'm Nancy Tobler, your host. And today we have Mark Schaub. And Mark Schaub has worked as a lawyer in Shanghai since 1993. He specializes in foreign direct investment, M&A, and restructuring in China. He has advised on foreign investment projects in all major sectors in China with a cumulative value exceeding U.S. dollars $20 billion. He is familiar with China issues faced by companies of all sizes and is a trusted advisor to many companies, ranging from family-owned businesses to Fortune 500 companies. In this episode, Mark gives us a wealth of information about how to do business in China. And he talks about the difficulties currently in getting a direct sales license. So he talks about other ways you can set up in China. One of the really uh, fascinating things he talked about is even if you don't plan to go into China right now, you should register your products there so that when you are ready to go into China, that's already been done and you don't have problems with that. He talks about technology and e-commerce and how e-commerce friendly China is. Uh, he talks about it uh, cross-border e-commerce as being a way to get into China to see if your products will do well. He talks about cosmetics and supplements and how well they have done in the last few years and how well uh, products that are produced outside of the Chinese market uh, are received inside of China. So with just a wealth of information and we're very excited to have Mark Schaub join us today. Welcome, Mark. It's great to have you on our podcast today. Hi, Nancy. Uh, it's Thank great you. to have you. You were on a couple of years ago, and I don't know if you know this, but you're still in our top 50. People still watch that podcast from a couple of years ago. So uh, it's great to have you back. Uh, I thought we'd just start off with, why don't you, you're the expert or my expert on doing business in China. What do companies, how do companies go about doing business in China? So are we, we're talking about MLM companies in particular or just generally? Yes. MLM brands. Yeah, MLM, MLM companies or direct sales. Yeah, so I think the direct sales companies, um, you know, China has been, I mean, there's different categories. Uh, you know, the, the largest ones, the most professional ones, uh, did enter China through the direct sales licenses, but it's constrained to certain products. Uh, also very difficult to get the license. May be impossible now because... Uh, the authorities have really like cracked down on it. So I think we've seen other you know direct sales companies uh, slightly change the way that they do business, uh, and then perhaps just have one you know level of commission, and you know they do different ways of doing it. But you know these are companies that are selling cosmetics or supplements, you know those mm -hmm. kind of products. Great, great. Uh, so so talk about that. Uh, we. Uh, getting into China now is more difficult, you think, than it has been in the past? Well, it's not. I mean, it's difficult for those direct sales licenses because, uh, you, know, you know, the big guys like, you know, Avon or, you know, um, Herbalife or those kind of companies, uh, also like the European companies, who, you know, uh, like Kersha and those ones, they had something which was called a direct sales license. And you had to meet a bunch of different um, uh, uh, requirements. And that involved also putting a hefty bond with the authorities. Right. And it was also difficult to get that license. It also had to be the actual uh, direct sales company from overseas had to be the shareholder in the entity. And I think, you know, our understanding is that the Chinese authorities since about two years have had a freeze on issuing those licenses. 
So okay. there are some direct sales companies overseas trying to buy existing Chinese companies with those licenses. Oh, okay. Uh, because, yeah, because what we saw was, you know, the model, um, a lot of, you know, when you know, direct sales companies, one saw you know, great, huge success in China uh, through that direct sales model, uh, and then a lot of Chinese companies got on the bandwagon, uh, but a lot of them didn't really understand the model, and so quite a few of them were unsuccessful. So there are a number of companies out there uh, which people are trying to sell, or, uh, and you know that is for some of the large companies. But I think you have to be a big player uh, to try and you know bite that off. So that would be yeah the kind of issue. Yeah. So do some companies try to just uh, sell inside of China, but not have a presence there? Uh, I think you talked about this last time. So yeah. sort of this yeah. uh, offshore model, I don't know what to call it. Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot like, so I think, you know, you know, direct sales companies, most of them, at least ones which, you know, I've seen, they're mostly dealing with consumer products. So they're either selling, you know, we've seen cosmetics, we've seen supplements, uh, you know, vitamins, I think they're the, the big three that we've come across the most often. And I think a lot of those companies, uh, what they're doing is they're selling via cross-border e-commerce when they first start to see if there's traction for their business. And then what I think they would do is they would start selling domestically and they may need to change a little bit the way they do it. So they will have like a service structure in China and, you know, the commission will need to be a bit different than perhaps in their Western markets uh, because in China you can't have more than one level of commission. And so I think what we're seeing is a lot of uh, e-commerce and then some of the guys who are becoming more successful because I think e-commerce, there's natural restraints because uh, there's difficulties in getting your products registered and also, you know, you can only uh, sell so much stuff uh, through e-commerce. There's you know, restrictions on how much you can sell per person. And so a lot of companies are starting to do domestic manufacturing, but they don't do the manufacturing. They get a Chinese factory to do the manufacturing, and then they try to distribute, you know, you know wholesale or on a big scale within China. Yeah, great. Great. So you said uh, supplements. Is that the biggest market in China? Or are there other products that... I would say, you know, China's probably, there's been a lot of interest in cosmetics in China. I think most direct sales companies, it's not against animal testing. So China recently, so if there are direct sales companies that were shying away from China because of the animal testing requirement, there's been an exemption in place since the 1st of May of this year. And so that meant there was a lot of pent-up demand. Yeah, but some of the uh, big um you know, uh, cosmetic companies who were doing direct sales in China, uh, they were, you know, willing to do animal testing. So I don't know if I don't know if in, any of your listeners um, are these kind of companies. So I think that's where we've seen the most interest. And I think it's pretty clear that China's the biggest cosmetics market in the world. Uh, you know, it's still got growth of around, you know, maybe 20%. I think wow. it is actually bigger than China, uh, bigger than the US by now. It, so it, yeah, cosmetics is very hot. Supplements was hot for a number of years. It's still a big market, but I think people don't talk about it quite as much. And then when we talk about supplements, you know, what, at least from a China perspective, we would include dietary supplements, uh, also things, you know, to make you smarter, make you better looking, all yeah. that kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah. even vitamins, things like that. Yeah, sure. 
Uh, yeah, great. Uh, so that's interesting. Are you required to do animal testing? I'm not sure what the rule is in China. Well, until 1st of May uh, 2021, anybody who was selling, like cross-border e-commerce was a bit of an exception. But if you wanted to import a cosmetic into China, you had to um, do animal testing to get the product registration. Oh, okay. Uh, that is now no longer the case. It's still a bit messy. Uh, people don't know exactly um, how to get the exemption, but it is possible now to do an exemption. So I think all those big, if there were direct sales companies who have a very big cosmetics business, yeah, like, um, you, know, um, you know, someone like Avon or whatever, yeah, if they were cruelty-free, they'd have to be looking at how can I get into the China market because now you could bring in your product cruelty-free or more likely you could actually produce domestically in China. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think for many direct sales companies, you know, perhaps what's the magic of them is more the way they sell, the way that they create a relationship with the consumer and how they use a network. Um, it's not perhaps the same as some of the high-end cosmetic companies, which are more, you know, heritage. So I think you know, a lot of direct sales companies are also more cutting edge and they're trying to sell a scientific solution. Right. So that scientific solution, it doesn't have to be manufactured in the States anymore or in Switzerland or in Germany. You know, I think uh, you could quite easily get it manufactured in China, eases the product registration and allows you to sell on a much wider, easier footing than trying to import the stuff in. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been talking about uh, the last few months is the what I'm calling the COVID effect, right? What happened in China as a result of COVID? How did direct selling do in 2020 and now in 2021? And, you know, what are you seeing there? I think we're seeing, you know, I, I think uh, I'd be very surprised if um, sales went down. I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, um, you know, uh, yeah, China was already a very much an online e-commerce type uh, yeah. country, you know, compared to most. And, you know, COVID wouldn't have been any uh, hamper to that. So I think, you know, again, people were concerned about health. So supplements, you know, stayed steady or grew. Right. Uh, and people also, counterintuitive perhaps, cared about how they looked. So they actually were buying more cosmetics. Um, and, you know, the... Um, uh, again, a bit different uh, for cosmetic companies. So high-end uh, cosmetic companies, they saw a big drop in their sales overseas globally because Chinese consumers, when they travel, they would often buy something at New York Duty Free or Paris and put it in their luggage, but they were now buying it domestically in China. So perhaps, again, the you know direct sales is less affected than the top-end guys, uh, but... I think that's also driven this kind of concept that uh, Chinese consumers are very happy to buy higher-end products in-country. You know, yeah, maybe five years ago, people were talking about uh, you know, a Chinese person wouldn't buy a moisturiser that wasn't made overseas. I don't think that's the case. And so, again, I think you know, the, uh, you know, we, we have uh, some you know, direct sales companies as clients yeah, they all seem to be doing very well. One of them was ramping up production. They have their own. Uh, they actually have their own cosmetics um, factory in in East China, and you know they're seeking to expand. 
Um, and then we've had a few new entrants who are trying to test the waters by first adopting this kind of e-commerce approach. Um, but I think what they will find rapidly is because of the restriction on e-commerce sales uh, per person, you know, you will not have as great a runway as you had a few years ago. So I think once they see that there is a, a good chance of success, a lot of those companies will try to make their company more localized. Yeah. So that's interesting. I, I don't know what the rule is. What is the rule on the e-commerce amount you can sell? I think it was about a thousand US dollars per person. It's a relatively new rule. Okay. Uh, before it was, you know, and I mean, there's yeah, so e-commerce. It's important. Cross-border e-commerce is a very special type of e-commerce. So that's where you're going with Timor Global or one of the big guys, and it's all connected to the PRC Customs. And, you know, they know that it's being shipped in. Now, some direct sales companies, they were just going on the postal route, you know, which is just shipping stuff in, you know, to Hong Kong and then just trying to bring it over the border. And, you know, that can be risky. That can be considered smuggling, mostly because it is smuggling. But anyway, so, <laughs> you know, those, those products are being brought in without taxes, customs duty, without having the right product registrations. And I think, yeah, that's getting you know, more tight. And, yeah, there are companies who were doing this and they were doing massive amounts of business. So we're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of US dollars in business annually on a quite shaky foundation. So uh, it shows you can scale your business, but it also shows you might need you know, to do it properly uh, and just ensure that you follow the Chinese laws Otherwise, you'll have a, a great business, but it may fall apart very quickly. Yeah. Well, we've seen China clamp down several times in the past, oh, I don't know, five to 10 years, uh, where they've just frozen things and said, okay, we're, you know, we're done, <laughs> kind of. Uh, so oh, yeah. it is important that you stay up to date on what's happening there. I, this is something that I was thinking about that maybe we even talked about last time you were on. But what's the perception of con uh, companies outside of China selling in China? Do do Chinese consumers like those external companies coming in, or is it they like to buy a home product? Yeah, I think it's, cha it's changing a little bit. I would say, like uh, five years ago, uh, anything that you're going to ingest or put on your skin, yeah, you know, or you know, any consumer product. I think, yeah, what's interesting is if you go to America and you walk down the street, it's pretty amazing how American companies, oh, it's not really amazing, but it's just common sense that American companies dominate the main street, you know, like you right. see all this stuff. And in Europe, it's similar. It's, you know, dominated by European companies. Right. But in China, almost all consumer brands were foreign until recently, you know. So, oh, okay. You know, so... So it's only in the last few years that there's been a revitalization. So, you know, I think, you know, Chinese companies, I think the thing is nowadays if you have the right concept, a Chinese company can succeed in a go-to-consumer business. Um, and that might strike people as a bit strange, but it really wasn't the case like five or six years ago. You know, so now there's things like Perfect Dye, which is a cosmetics company, and, you know, there's lots of these kind of companies. And uh, I think what we're seeing is it's 
becoming a little bit more popular and people go overshoot it now. So to answer your question, yeah, what most perhaps Americans are fearing, uh, Chinese consumers are happy to buy American product. They're happy to buy a European product. Probably there's still a bit of a preference. It's more now that they won't automatically discount a Chinese product. And maybe if you were a direct sales company you know, targeting Chinese consumers, you probably might need to adjust a bit the product. You, know, you have to adjust it anyway if you want to register the product so because right. the Chinese standards are a bit different. But, yeah, things like the packaging and those kind of things, you know, it's not like the old days where you would send stuff in and it was better to have a sticker on it so people could really think, ah, it is an American-made product. It's not some kind of uh, shoddy knockoff. I think now it's like it's okay if it's a U.S. product if people think it's better, uh, but they're also happy enough if it's made in in China and if it's like a bit, you know, uh, uh, yeah, it's tweaked for the Chinese consumer. So, you know, some red packaging or something with Chinese New Year, I think it's much more acceptable than even five years ago. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, so I know live streaming is huge in China, and, and the research that I read on live streaming says that you guys are way ahead of uh, other countries. So yeah. you would say all that over. the shift... It's all over, Nancy. It's all over. No, it? no, it's not all over. But that's one of the things. Like live streaming, it was such a thing. And so by the time that the Western media kind of found it, I think it's pretty clear that it's going downhill already. So, you know, it was like, (laughs) so, you know, I think like KOLs and those live streaming, I'm sure if you look at the statistics, they'll look good, but I've got the feeling it's already tapering off of it. Oh, is it? So, yeah. I I, I think the interesting thing is we often think, or a lot of Western people often think, oh, China is, you know, perhaps we could teach this to the Chinese or whatever. But when it comes to distribution, now I think with network marketing, I think not many Chinese companies have really unlocked how you do it, you know, in the systematic way. But when it comes to logistics or stuff like that, it's unbelievable how quick it is. You know, it's really like, uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, uh, a few months ago when I was in Shanghai, you know, it was really like I would order something and by the time I put down the phone, the guy was knocking at the front door ready to deliver it. So the amount of timing and all this kind of stuff, in many ways, it's ahead of the West. And so live streaming might be something that will come now in the West, but they'll probably move on to something else, you know? Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to watch, right? Uh, That that, uh, selling and how they go about selling and using different technologies, right? So so what you're telling me is they really are – at the forefront of e-commerce, right, and how to do business through the internet. Yeah, and they'll do a lot of things like um, they got this AI. I don't know if you've called it AI, but you know things like where you would go on a website or you're in a shop where it's like that online, offline, and they'll look at your face and then you can see the clothes on you. Or perhaps with direct sales companies, it's more relevant as cosmetics. You know, you can see how the cosmetic looks on your face. And all these kind of things. So yeah. it's pretty sophisticated. Uh, but, yeah, politics is also playing a role a bit. Yeah, one of the big stories a year ago was men's uh, beauty. And, you know, 
men's beauty was not that much smaller than female beauty, which is, you know, kind of oh, unbelievable. Well. Yeah. Uh, but now um, the, the the government uh, kind of said that they don't want these, you know, I guess Ch- uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger called them girly men or something. I can't remember what he called them, but, you know, like uh, – yeah, but uh, uh, the China leadership said we want more manly men. Oh. And so, you know, this might actually mean that the men beauty market might shrink a little bit. So I guess in China it's dynamic and you can't always assume what was happening, you know, five years ago or even five months ago is what's happening right now. Yeah, I think you've you've pointed that out for us today, like with the, the change in May, was it May you were saying 2021? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so I- anything else we should be looking for at, or to for China? Yeah, if I was, look, I think if you're looking at China, if we're just talking about, are we talking about companies who are not in and just want to kind of think a bit about whether it's a good market for right. them? Is that- right. If somebody yeah. wants to come into China, what should they be considering? So I think what you should consider now is, I would say, even if you don't want to go, okay, even if you just think, if you're like Netflix, I know it's not a direct sales company, but if you're Netflix, Netflix doesn't want to come to China because of regulations and everything, you should still register your brands in China because it's a small expense and just work out, you know, because maybe five years from now you may want to come to China or five months from now you might want to come to China. So registering a trademark is about 600 US dollars for 10 years protection. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a few little tricks you have to do to keep it kind of uh, protection alive. So I think that's the first step. And then if you really are interested in China as a market, you know, I think the the, the way would, that most direct sales companies would do would be to find someone to help them, like a, a distributor. You know, it would be a surprise to me if you're a big American network marketing company and you don't have sales in China. I think that yeah. would be a surprise to me. Yeah, I think there yeah. would be... If your product is kind of a bit successful, you would have sales through Taobao. People would be importing it somehow. Right. And you know, these might be the, the initial base of you know, sales agents that you could perhaps find. So I think what I would look at, and I think you can get this information quite easily uh, uh, from some marketing companies, they can buy the um, information about the sales of products on Taobao things like that. You, know, you can right. get this kind of information or you can just Google it, you know, get someone in China to like uh, go on Taobao and see how much is sold of your stuff. And I think that would be the first thing because if you've got sales in China, it's kind of like proof of concept. Right. And then I think um, if you've got enough, I think you could do a cross-border e-commerce, just start seeing if there's demand. But I think cross-border e-commerce doesn't really lend itself well to network marketing companies because it's a bit too much of a distant relationship between the seller and the customer. Right. So I think, you know, if it's a supplement or a cosmetics, um, you know, if you would be willing to have it manufactured in China and you build a compliant sales model, which will be a bit different from what you use elsewhere, but, you know, you can you know, do things that still work, I think you know, that's probably the best way to go ahead. And I think, um, you know, if you're not going to be trying to get the direct sales license, which I think is impossible for many, you know, you don't have to manufacture them in your own factory. So you can de-risk yourself by outsourcing production to, you know, you know, 
trusted third parties. Yeah. So I think that's the kind of dynamic that we're seeing. Great. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're busy. And uh, we'll have your contact information on MLM.com if people want to reach out to you for uh, more information. And I want to thank you again for spending this uh, time with us. Yeah, great. Thanks. Hello. Yeah, anybody can just drop me an email. Always happy to have a chat with somebody because I think very often, like, the one little thing I would say, you talked about the crackdowns. Most of those crackdowns on MLM, uh, they were not really against, yeah, they were against some foreign companies, uh, but they were mostly against Chinese companies who were engaging in practices that would also be illegal anywhere in the world, you know. Right. They were kidnapping people and, you know, beating them up and everything. So quite enhanced direct sales uh, methods that, you know, you also wouldn't be allowed to do elsewhere. Right. So I think, you know, I'm happy to have a chat with anybody uh, just to maybe dispel things and tell them, you know, these are the real problems that you might face. These other things that you hear are probably not so real. So just to make sure that people understand, you know, what is a realistic Chinese market. Yeah. Yeah, that was that 2017, I think, crackdown was more on domestic companies, not foreign yeah. companies. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And uh, we look forward to having you again on MLM.com podcast. Thanks a lot, Nancy. Thank you for joining us at the MLM.com podcast with Mark Shobe today. I want to thank Leroy for his audio help, as well as Kelsey for her help on uh, developing and setting up the MLM.com podcast. This has been the MLM.com podcast, bringing you information and insight into the direct sales industry. Join us again next time.